0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 208 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we have for you three famous gentlemen of horsemanship. (laughs) This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. And I have my producer, Jen, with me today by voice, but soon to be right here with me, Jen. I can't wait. woo we're, cl- we're We're closing
2: in on the movement in yes. a rapid pace. The, oh, my gosh. Remind me yeah. again the dates of the
1: movement. June 17 and 18 and 19. 17, now, 18, 19. You will be here on 16, I believe, and you guys are all piling into a big Airbnb and wine country. I'm so excited to hear about it, and then we will have you in. I'm going to put Glenn to work right away. Don't tell him that because he (laughs) thinks he's coming for a horse husband kickback, but since he doesn't have any you know, talents and abilities like in the horsemanship side of it. <laughs> he said that. I don't have any, so I don't have to do anything at that. Mm-hmm. That's right. He's a horse husband, not a horse guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, nope. we're gonna put him to work. I've got something planned for him too. You, on the other hand, get to chill out and wine in horse country and just take it all in because you're a <laughs> horse girl.
2: <laughs> I am I am going to invest investigate flag is up farms in minutia, oh. because it is such a lovely farm. And it's one of those great places that has so much history. The history oozes out Aww. of the trees and the fences and the walls. <laughs> and I can't wait to just go walk around. So if you don't Very see nice. me around, it's because I'm investigating some nook or cranny
1: or, yeah. Good. Well, I'll give you a muck fork too, you know, in case <laughs> <we> <laughs> you know, work Qualified. To do. <laughs> Qualified there. No, no. I want you to come here and just Chillax. That's my Chillax. my um, yes. My producer direction to you is please come in and relax. But we're gonna have fun. We're gonna have Templeton Thompson concert on Friday night, which I know you'll be whooping it up in the in the front of the audience there. Uh, but it's kind of an intimate thing, though. Um, we've never had a concert at the at the event before, and you know it's we keep this. We've limited unless people talk me into it in the next few weeks. We've limited it to fifty. Participants and then uh, again we have uh, what about ten presenters all told, and um, that's a pretty intimate group for flag. For example, Monday we had a corporate event here for a co- corporation called Voya, and there was a hundred and seventy people for lunch, Jen. Wow, <laughs> it, that is that's that's active. That's there's a lot of people
3: warming wow. around here.
1: But this, on the other hand, this is for horse lovers and people who really want to come here. some amazing horse trainers horse uh, you know i would call them horse advocates but we're not political here we're really more about how could we be better for our horses how can we be better for our horses yeah
2: i think i think your horses because horsemanship flag is up monty roberts university are very much set an example thanks you you push the message forward. You press. You push the mission forward by walking the walk and talking, not just talking the talk. Versus an advocacy group is all about ah. pushing the forward. The group, the mission, not mm-hmm. necessarily about doing it. So you help people learn the skills and understand the theories and the science, so that they can they themselves can practice it, and they themselves can practice it, so that others see it
1: and want to join. Right very kind. Yes, we I mean that that's the mission right there. You you summed it up cuz if your horses are not actually showing it then we're not doing it. <laughs>
2: so, yeah, right. And if you yeah. if it's not just where you got, it's how you got there. Yeah. It's great and true. fabulous to be um well-known or to have a lot of followers or to have a lot of awards. All those things are great, but how you got there. Is more important than where you got to. Oh, thanks, thanks. Right. Well, and I think, yeah, you guys, I, I, you guys help every horseman, regardless of what level they are or will be, mm-hmm. get there in a way that benefits the horse and the human and the cultural culture that surrounds them both.
1: Yeah. Look well, horses deserve that. Yeah, I know. I'm going to write that down. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really nice. It's really nice, and I think that's why we had. The three men on today that we had for this episode because they're in each case they're all pretty famous these guys they got to amazing places and are still getting to more amazing places mm-hmm. but how they got there mm-hmm. they got mm-hmm. there they earned it for sure but they put the horse first i would say 100 percent. they put the animal first and that's why that's why we invited them on right jen that's
2: right and before we get to our guests we've got three of them
1: I wanted to mention something.
2: What, the title sponsor of the Horsemanship Radio Show is Hands-On Gloves. Yes. Yes. And I wanted to mention one of the many, many uses of the hands-on gloves. First of all, they come in two hands. There's nothing worse than having a grooming tool <laughs> to only use with one hand. And most Pretty grooming deep. gloves are either right or left.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm sorry. I have a big horse. By the time I get halfway through that horse, I've got the left side groomed. I need to switch hands. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. I need to switch hands. So I like having two hands. But also, because the little knobbly knobblies are on each and every fingertip, including your thumb. Right. You can get the nooks and crannies. And in the springtime, the horses start to get sweaty, but they still have plenty of hair. Yeah. So you get that greasy, cruddy stuff in the nooks and crannies. Yep. And on their, like on their cannons. Or in that little dent above the bulbs of their heels. Yeah. And things like that. Yeah, that that gooey. Yeah. 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 But if you have your hands on gloves, you can scrub around in those little nooks and crannies so they don't get the greasy, gooey stuff that makes
1: their hair fall out. Preventative grooming. You know, you're such a good parent. That sounds awesome. Chris McCarran won his first of two Belmont Stakes in 1986 with Danzig, unexpectedly defeating that year's Kentucky Derby winner and Preakness runner-up Ferdinand. Some people will remember Ferdinand. The next year, Ali Sheba and McCarran won the first two legs of the Triple Crown. Ali Sheba and McCarron returned the next year to win six grade one races, and Ali Sheba was dubbed America's horse and the title of the world's richest horse. McCarran retired as a jockey after 28 years in racing in 2002. Since then, he has served in his, as an advisor and actor in the film Seabiscuit. He's held the position of vice president and general manager at Santa Anita Park. Worked as a racing analyst for TVG Network and launched the North American Racing Academy. Now he has taken up the causes for horses and he joins Monty today to discuss the future of racing. So I wanted to get started by putting you two together because I know in common you have right now a lot of time with Marty Irby. And Marty and several other people have been real busy being advocates for horses and horse racing, but I did, Chris, want to have everybody get a little background on you too, because you've, you've been a legend on the racetrack. Monty, I will say has been a legend off the racetrack, getting those horses ready for talented people like you to ride. And, um, yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned Griffin and is he still riding? He's still giving a few lessons to this boy? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't give him the lessons. His mom does. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, she she's a, a show hunter jumper uh, show horse trainer. Uh, she's got about uh, between ponies and and full size horses. She's got about twenty two horses that she's got under her care right oh, now.
1: Goodness sakes, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we we did tell the audience to introduce you that. You uh, had created and founded the North American Riding Academy, the only school where aspiring jockeys can earn a college degree. That's impressive, and that um, you started that in 2006, and then and it's in Lexington, Kentucky. But it's carried on since 2014. You've put it off in good hands then, and um, you're a record-breaking jockey. And I thought, who better than you two to discuss? what's going on in the racing right now, and how we can help the horses. And uh, let's talk a little bit today about that exciting Kentucky Derby that just happened, too. Um, Monty, Dad, hi. I'll um, I'll let you kind of jump in here, too, and lead the way, because I know there's a lot of synergy between you two, but you don't always get to get on the phone together. So I thought that might be fun.
5: Yeah, that's great. I I really enjoy being around Chris and talking to Chris, and it hasn't happened for a long time. We we uh, have gone our separate ways, me getting a lot older than he is. My grandsons, I don't sit with them anymore because they're in their 30s and they've got <laughs> their own businesses. But um, Chris, uh, the recent Derby stirred up a lot of conversation, and um, I had some phone calls and stuff. And there was a tendency throughout the United States, I guess, to really get opposed to the guy who was trying to uh, keep the horse from eating his pony and his leg. And um, my, my position was that uh, most people that would blame him for anything that he did at that point uh, have never been in that position before and, uh, you do what you can do. Uh, he, he feared for his life and he feared for his horse's life too. That's my opinion. Anyway, what do you think
0: about it? Yes, I, I couldn't agree more, uh, Monty. Um, Greg Blasey is a very good horseman. He's a, he's a great outrider. He's ha- he has saved a lot of, uh, uh, he has prevented a lot of serious accidents from happening on the track, both in the morning and the afternoon. And I know the jockeys and the exercise riders rely greatly on his expertise to keep things as safe as he possibly can out there in the racetrack. I felt really bad for him, uh, reading the, the social media in the days after the incident, because that horse, that Colt was on fire and he was just, he wanted to uh, tear Greg up and and the pony too. And, uh, you know, Colts can, Colts can get that way. And, and, uh, I was interested to read a fascinating fact that, uh, was posted somewhere. I can't remember exactly where, but the amount of pressure that a horse can provide with his bite is over 500 pounds per square inch. I know it's, it's, stronger than a pit bull.
4: Mm,
0: And, uh, so, you know, obviously, you know, when I saw the, the bruises and, and the cuts on on Greg's body, uh, from, from the horse biting him, I was astonished. Oh my goodness. No, no, no wonder he had to be so aggressive. He had to, he had to just fend that colt off. And, um, I somewhat put a little bit of blame, um, on the jockey, Sonny Leon, uh, not, not completely blame him because he's still a young rider. I would guess that he's not been in that kind of position before, but I think, I don't think if I was on that horse, if I was on rich strike, the, once that Colt started demonstrating such aggression, I would have told Greg, turn me loose. Just let me go. I'll be able to, handle it from over here, you know, uh, and I, I know what was in the back of Greg's mind. No, actually not the back of his mind, but the forefront of his mind, he had to keep that horse, uh, close by so that Donna Barton on the pony could do the interview for NBC. Uh, that is standard protocol. And I know most, most people, uh, like to hear the comments from a jockey in the immediate aftermath of the race uh when tensions are are flying high whether they're good or bad uh they you know every, the audience wants to hear what happened and um you know they were not able to get much of an interview done because of the Colts antics but um yeah. you know Greg
5: well i i have to tell you that i i completely agree with what you just said, right up and down, including, and I would say the most important thing that you said was this was a young jockey, and um, you can blame the jockey if you want, but he's a young jockey that probably never was in that position before. There's a high probability that he wasn't, and uh, you would be asking him uh, on the corner of the street somewhere, hey, those two guys are in a knife fight. I want you to come in and help me uh get him loose and he might say to you you get out of here i'm not going into two guys with in a knife fight um and and basically that's that's what he did now i agree with you that a i think the outri- outrider might have turned him loose and did it but then he's responsible for what happens when that horse leaves him too and you, you make a point that he is a responsible guy. He tried to do his best, and the last thing he needed was um, <clears throat> complaints about what he did. Because if, you, if you're if you going to complain about what he did, then you do it from the standpoint of, I've been there before, and this is what I did, you know? And I have witnessed the pressure of a horse's jaw on about three different ca- occasions in my time working with these remedial horses And I have to tell you, uh, it is fearsome and uh, it's all encompassing. Your brain just kind of goes blank and you just save yourself any way you can. And uh, having said that, I watched the video several times. And I have to tell you, Chris, if you know these people, I would like them to know that I could fix this horse. And I could fix him in five to six days. And they could race him anywhere they wanted, and they would not experience this this problem another time in my opinion i I can only say that I believe that because I've done it several times before
0: mm-hmm. two
5: horses two horses in Germany, and uh, two or three in in uh, England, and a couple in the United States uh, where I have fixed these before. And it's a kind of an unusual fix and you have to give me about five or six days and I have to have, uh, some technical people, uh, to fix, build things for me. But, uh, I could fix this horse where that particular pony could go catch him after a race and go right up. And he would come and put his nose on the pony's neck and never, never act out the way he did there. I could do it. And if you could let those people know that, um, I believe they probably scratched him from the Preakness because um, they didn't have it straight yet and they weren't sure about it. Do you know, uh, Chris, did the horse ever do this before that
0: do you know of? Uh, I don't, I don't really know. First, let me say that I have no no doubt in my mind that uh, uh, any reme- remediation um, protocol that, uh, you would employ in trying to get a horse like that straightened out. I have no doubt in my mind that you could do it. Uh, I, I would guess to say it wouldn't take you five days. You'd do it. You'd do it quicker than that. But I don't. I'm not really familiar with these people. Um, I I know of Eric Reed. I've I've never met the man. Uh, the only uh, sort of distant relationship I have with him is that when one of my graduates uh, started riding. Many years ago, uh, Eric Reed was one of the first trainers that had runners, you know, live horses, and and offered Ben, my my student Ben Creed, great opportunities in, in riding horses for him. They, they won some races together, uh, but that's as close as any kind of relationship I have with him. Like I said, I've I've never met him, but um, you know, as far as dodging the Preakness, uh, they they came out. Early on, right right after the race, they they mentioned that you know had the colt run well in the Derby and was not uh, you know embarrassed by any stretch of the imagination that they would most likely skip the Preakness and, and go on to the Belmont because there's just not enough time between the Derby and the Preakness being only 14 days. Uh, yeah. So and they I was I was uh, I was happy you know I was proud of them to to stick to their guns and and forego any temptation of, you know, going for that triple crown when they felt in their hearts that it was not in the Colt's best interest.
5: Yeah. Well, I certainly uh, can't say that they did it because of this, but I had a feeling they did. And um, I promise you that what you don't know about them and, and you're not having been associated with them before they know about you (laughs) <laughs> and they would trust your word. If you want to get word to them that, um, I'm, I'm retired from traveling and COVID and everything else, my age and everything is keeping me from traveling, but I would be happy to go to Kentucky. I would the five or six days is uh, a lot to do with the technical things I need made, uh, so that, uh, everybody's safe. And, yeah. uh, they have to make up these things for me that I would use to protect everybody. And uh, I, I know that it, it would take 15 or 20 days for him to get loving uh, what he's doing and not even thinking about being vicious It would take some a little time for that, but once I got them lined out, the owners and the and the people involved, once I got them lined out, then they would see the value of it and continue to to help the horse come along. I I feel sure of that, and uh, uh, it's a real shame. But one of the best horses I ever had in my life attacked me while I was on another gelding, and my position is that he was attacking the gelding, but he got a hold of me uh, just below my, the left side just below the ribs and shook me like a sock uh, in the air and then threw me about 20 feet away and continued to attack the gelding mm-hmm. and uh i tell you there were some sleepless nights trying to figure that one out but uh when i got him fixed uh, there was never that problem again
0: yeah wow
1: i'd love to That's ask incredible. you to yeah I, I, horses are powerful, and we 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 don't want to forget that. But I think it was a testosterone moment. It was the heat of the moment too, to give the horse a break. But I also like to to talk to you too about a little bit about what's going on right now. I know El- animal wellness center and and Chris, you've been working with some of the people to uh, about drugs in racing. And I'd love a little update, a little um, a uh, primer on what's going on now, and if there's anything that anybody could do to uh, call whoever they need to call, or you know, if there's anything we can do as public to help support whatever you're supporting, we know you're you're trustable and and doing good things for us.
0: Oh well, thank you, Debbie. Um, as far as an update, the only update that uh, that I can offer is from what I've read. Uh, online with regard to the HISA Act. Mm -hmm. That's uh, H-I-S-A, Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act. Uh, Now, I had previously made about seven trips up to Washington, D.C. with Marty and others uh, who were trying to get this bill passed. And we spent time walking the halls of Congress trying to get co-sponsors for the bill. And fortunately, we were successful. It only took about seven or eight years, but yeah, (laughs) we 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 got it done, and President Trump signed it, and so it's uh, that was all good. But um, I have been adamant in my position of uh, horses running medication free. Uh, I've been that way for a long time, and um, it I was so elated when, uh, leader McConnell, Mitch McConnell, who's from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, he, he finally endorsed, uh, the HISA bill. And, uh, when he did that, president Trump was, was only too kind to sign it. But, uh, my, my stance on, on drugs and racing is, uh, is strong. I, I feel steadfast in the belief that, it has to be a level playing field for the sake of the horses, for the safety and sake of the horses that they're running completely drug free, that if they have any ailment, if they have any kind of uh, aches or pains anywhere, uh, that they're going to feel it without those symptoms being disguised by uh, pain relief medications. Uh, It, it creates a safer, Environment for the jockeys, of course, because when the horses are safer, the jockeys are going to be safer. When That's the right. horses are not racing in a safe, sound environment, then the jockeys are at risk as well. Mm-hmm. So therein lies the reason for my feeling to offer my my input. And mm-hmm. when I testified in front of Congress uh, a couple years ago, um, I was I expressed that to the legislators in the chamber that I am coming from, I'm coming here from a jockey's point of view. If the, if the horses are no longer going to race on medication, it automatically creates a safer environment for the jockeys. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: And uh, so the, uh, the, the biggest sticking point was Lasix. Um, It, it seemed like the trainers uh, for the most part and owners as well, were okay with doing away with any kind of, uh, anti, uh, pain medication, but they wanted to keep Lasix, uh, available, but, uh, that is now being phased out. Um, right. the breeders, the breeders cup does not allow any horses to race on Lasix.
3: Great. And it's,
0: it's been this way for a little while now, uh, almost two years, I think for, for two year olds, uh, they, they cannot race on Lasix, but the other, the older horses were, were being grandfathered in, mm-hmm. um, and so the the uh, interesting thing for me is the the war cry that was coming from uh, a lot of the tra- uh, trainers around the country, and and again some owners was that w- without lasix, these horses are going to bleed through mm-hmm. their nostrils; that they they will experience epistaxis. Which is when the lungs begin to fill with some blood, and and then the blood actually drips out the horse's nostrils, and mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a frightening scene. Sure. You know it's it, it's terrible when that when that happens, but uh, there has not been very many at all yeah. uh, of that. At least none that have been none that I can see that have been reported. So uh, the the phase-out of Lasix is is working very well, and uh, thank God they can no longer race on any kind of anti-pain medication.
1: Right. I I don't like to conjecture um, like this, but I'll throw a question out to you. Uh, Do you think Lasix was covering other things? Is there a reason that they were so, so adamant about Lasix for so long? uh I, that that is something
0: that went by the wayside some years ago okay because of the improvement in the the process of testing with these various testing labs throughout the country they were able to uh discover uncover if you will any kind of um anti-inflammatory or anti-pain medication despite the fact that horses were treated with Lasix. It okay. used to be that Lasix would cause the horse to urinate so much that they, they would actually flush out some mm. of the underlying medica- other medications that were administered to the horse. Mm-hmm. But the testing procedures have been so perfected that, uh, well, Medina Spirit is a, is a prime example. He was found to have, well, I think, 14 picograms, which is a billionth of a gram. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is certainly not performance enhancing, but the rule states that yeah. he can have no medication in the system whatsoever. Right. Uh, so the uh, I think the trainers were sincerely concerned of uh, a lot more horses were going to experience epistaxis.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you've been a, You've been pretty vocal about whips and racing for a while now, a long time, and uh, I know that you and Monty. I think uh, let's talk about that. Are you? Do you have a position on whips at this point, Chris? What's the evolution of whips in racing in the U.S. now?
0: I am really happy with the uh, the progression of uh, minimizing the, the the use of the of the whip. Um, uh, I actually prefer to call it riding crop, but I guess yeah. it's semantics. Right. But uh, you know, I I am not in favor of taking it away altogether. Uh, uh a case in point would be if I was on Rich Strike and he was attacking Greg and his pony in that fashion, I absolutely would have used my riding crop to get his attention.
3: Mm-hmm. And you know,
0: I I would have just smacked him on the shoulder. In, in on the part of his body where I could not inflict any any uh, any bruising or any any cuts or anything you know i I would but it, it I would have used it the noise that the popper makes when it makes contact with the horsehide uh, is is loud enough at times that it it would certainly get a horse's attention mm-hmm. uh, so for safety purposes I would I, I'm all in favor of the jockeys carrying a, a crop. But uh, I love the fact that most racing jurisdictions in this country uh, and abroad have uh, put a limit on the number of strikes a, a jockey can, can do.
1: And how are we doing in the world right now? Do we compare with uh, most countries or how's that going? Um,
0: you know, I, I am not, I'm not too sure. Uh, I don't okay. know the, the rules in Japan uh, I'm a little bit familiar with the with the rules in in the, in the UK, uh, where it's I, I believe it's uh, six strikes. Um, you cannot hit more than once in in succession. You have to if you're going to use the crop. Uh, I know in California, I'm bouncing around here, but in California you cannot cock the stick. You have to leave it in in the down position, and uh, you cannot hit a horse. Uh, more than twice in succession, you have to. If you hit the horse, you have to give him an opportunity to respond favorably. And uh, but it's uh, a limit of six, which I think is very fair. Uh, it's fair for the jockeys, and I think it's a, a lot kinder, uh, you know, for for the horses. Uh, the the one thing about the riding crop, though, you know, I I have ridden lots of horses that would sort of. When they get to the lead, they start waving on the other horses. They, I I like to use the analogy of a national football player, whether he's a running back or a receiver, and he's got like four or five yards on the defender and he's running down the field to mm-hmm. score a touchdown and he starts showboating. He looks back and he slows down and, he, you know, he struts across the line. Uh, well, I rode a little horse many years ago called Ali Sheba. Yes, you did. Same exact thing. (laughs) Ali Sheba would wait on his company, he he would get to the lead. I could actually feel him decelerate, (laughs) and uh, he would just say, I don't have to win by three lengths, I can win by a neck, and everybody will be happy. (laughs) Well. He gave me fits sometimes, Debbie. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <I> <laughs> come that would be on, scary. don't slow down now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Almost there.
0: Yeah. And so, in those circumstances, you know, the riding crop used used for encouragement can be a useful tool.
1: Gotcha. And and do you ever do you ever hear about races that could go whipless? I mean, would it be a fun example? Maybe to throw some money at some purses where everybody tossed the whip and just saw you know level playing field as you like. Like to say earlier, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, there is some precedent to that. Uh, okay, Monty, Monty could correct me. Uh, he might know a little bit more about the European rules. But I know in Norway the jockeys are not allowed to carry a crop, except for, get this: two-year-old races. <laughs> they can <laughs> they can carry a stick in, in two-year-old races, but they cannot in the older older classifications. Uh, but the opposite happened in this country. Uh, some years ago when, when Santa Anita uh, went back to starting two-year-old racing in early April uh, and it was two furlongs, a quarter mile at Santa Anita and the jockeys were not allowed to carry a riding crop. Mm, Uh, They had to use their hands. They, they would yell and scream and chirp and (laughs) and cluck and, you -hmm. know, be very oral with, with their uh, commands. And, and they could, you know, take the rein and slap it on the horse's neck and so forth to get them to extend his stride. But um, crops were, were not allowed. So Norway looks at it one way. And, you know, the California Horse, and Racing, Race Horse California Racing Commission
1: mm-hmm. uh, looks at it a different way. Yeah. And Monty, give us your European perspective.
5: Well, Norway is the only one that says absolutely not. And, um, you know. I was there and, uh, on the change and the, the, they, they went my way, my my suggestion, but it was the trainers that said, well, the two-year-old has to be shown how to go and you you need to use it, you know, but actually the jockeys aren't using it very much. And some of them just leave the darn thing in the room, Mm. uh, and, and go ride the race without it at all. Uh, because it has been proven that the two-year-old is more likely to have a problem from being struck with a whip than he is to do a good job when being struck with a whip. It frightens them. They duck sideways. And just like Chris says, then the jockey isn't safe. Mm. And, uh, it's, it's been a, a real transition for me to watch. And when I came to England, uh, Boy, a lot of the trainers say, oh, he's going to come around here now and tell us that we can't hit the horses and stuff like that. (laughs) And then I say what I say, and I'm not dictating to anybody, and they started trying a little less of the stick. And one of the things that I'd like to say about the stick is I would like to see larger diameter and softer surface, (laughs) these little, uh, you know, small diameters with hard woven material they're the stinging little cutting things but a large one even wrapped in cloth and then leather over it uh with larger diameter and that popper as chris says um that will no pain but it will cause the horse to flush and and try again and he listens to it better than a little stinging whip and they can throw it away when they weigh in they, they started talking about, well, we, if we weigh in with a whip, then we don't want those big round whips. Mm-hmm. But I, I, uh, had some being tried in, in England that were upwards of, uh, five eighths of an inch in diameter and softer surfaces and uh, a large popper on them. And you know, they worked pretty darn well. Uh, and, uh, Debbie, you might, you, you would know, but, very few people do, about my giddy-up rope.
6: Right, yeah. And
5: it, it's made of cotton yarn and braided, and it, it just goes woof woof woof, but it doesn't sting. And horses will respond forward with that way better than a stinging whip.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so visual stimulation as much as anything, too. They see behind a little bit and oof. Yeah, those those are fun. And I love that you're having a conversation about these things instead of just, you know, each generation picking up what the last generation gave them, you know, uh, questioning everything and and making it better for the horse. And you are two grand examples of what has happened in the evolution in racing in the last 10 years or so. I have no doubt that people will listen to this and cheer you on and give you other good ideas, too, that you can become champions for. So I appreciate you both, what you're doing for horses out there and for the next generation, i.e. Griffin and your grandson um, uh, and, and I hope he's doing well and we will love following him even if he becomes a violinist it's okay that's right <laughs> but, but we hope he sticks with horses we need bo- more boys than horses that's for sure but um, not in the racing as much and so I'm really proud of what you both are doing and I'm really pleased and happy to have you on Horsemanship Radio and I hope we can have you back when new news comes out Imagine if you could take Monty to the barn with you. Watch and learn as he addresses each challenge with your horse and answers your questions, too. You head to the arena and you work on each new lesson, knowing Monty's there to encourage you, all with violence-free, tried-and-true methods. After all, he's been helping train horse lovers all his life. With his online university, you could be like Kathy, a retired teacher who just bought her first horse.
3: Recently, I went to a tax shop to look for a smaller halter. Um, 61, just purchased my 14 hands POA the day after my birthday just a few weeks ago after never having had a horse. And yes, that's crazy, but as a retired teacher who never had a hobby other than teaching, I decided to go for it. My hub, hubby and I have taken lessons this past year, but I really longed for a relationship with a horse. Um, the only other experience I'd ever had was to ride a horse in Philly, Pennsylvania, my hometown, when I was 16, and I got bucked off, and that was it, <laughs> until I was 61. Um, well, the owner of this tax shop, um, this is precious lady, 84-year-old lady, gave me a copy of this magazine, Equine Mon- Monthly. And the article I read in it was Horses are Biofeedback Beings. And it was just so interesting. I really felt like I just found a pot of gold when I read it, because in it, it talked about Monty's online university and that I could have access to 575 videos for $10 a month. And before that, I was just searching YouTube for everything I could find. But truthfully, that's just a pain. I love that the uni videos are concise and they're in order. Um, they have extra notes and a quiz. And I just can't thank you enough for the huge blessing of your online university. It really has changed my life and I will never be the same. Um, I've had my horse Jack now for seven weeks and thanks to the videos I've done join up with him and it really worked like a dream. Uh, I had to do it in the arena, but it still worked. Thanks to Monty's lessons and the cues and the hand signals. Um, The ability to watch the lessons over and over on demand is incredible. So I also want to thank you so very much for making the online university affordable for this retired teacher. Thank you so much for all that you do for everyone who really wants to love a horse. Kathy.
1: Dr. Marty Becker has always had compassion for and a deep love of all animals. He's now leading an amazing group of dedicated professionals on the Fear Free Advisory Group with a goal of changing the entire ecosystem of many animals, starting with dogs, cats, and other companion animals. Fear Free was founded by American's veterinarian, Dr. Marty Becker, and he developed hundreds of experts in behavior, medicine, and handling, Fear Free has become one of the single most transformative initiatives in the history of companion animal practice. Well, welcome, Dr. Marty Becker. I'd like to start with your horsey background. How'd you, how'd you find some horses in your life?
4: Oh, this is interesting. So I grew up on a family farm in Southern Idaho down in potato country, and mm-hmm. it was like the Ark unloaded there. I mean, we had beef cows, we had dairy cows, we had sheep, we had goats, we had chickens, we had pigs. We didn't have horses. Oh. <laughs> and the reason was my dad had been entered on a horse when he was young and had us terrified. And he wasn't terrified of really anything except horses. <laughs> so uh. my experience with horses was very limited. And I went to veterinary school and saw a variety of horses there. There were two racetracks in Washington at the time. So with the one of the surgeons doing surgeries on called wobblers with cervical instability in the neck and yeah. doing a pretty revolutionary procedure. And I remember spending all night, one night with two draft horses that had gotten into the grain, you know, they were planting grain and they tore up the sacks and found her. And, oh but yeah. I met my wife and my wife, hey. Teresa, she was one of the first pictures of her. Her dad was putting up a, a homemade kind of horse in the basement on these giant springs. And he hadn't hooked it to the ceiling yet when she jumped on it. And she's got a picture of her with two black eyes and then it was briar horses and then it was a pony and then it was horses. And so when I got married to my, my incredible wife, Teresa 45 years ago, that's what started it. And through her, she, she always had a knack with horses. and so you know that fear that was built into me uh being with a racehorse with cervical instability is not the best introduction to a horse
5: <laughs> when they can you know
4: crash into you yeah. and and are not like, not exactly like the quarter horses we have now yeah. and then my my daughter came along and she's just like her mom she anything you could do i'd never do these crazy dares like jump off an eight story bungee jump you do your ride horses and she did it all and and then she became, uh, they got into showing Western pleasure. So we mm-hmm. live on a horse ranch called Almost Heaven Ranch. Yeah. And this is a funny story. My wife, you know how there's a in Western pleasure, there's like a $100,000 down to like a $25,000 horse. You got. You can't run NASCAR with a, a Volkswagen right. Beetle. <laughs> and so we had like the introductory bottom level horse. And... Teresa and Mikel rode the same horse and Teresa won absolutely nothing. No, no ribbons, no sashes, no belt buckles. And Mikel won everything. And she became the four time Canadian national champion.
1: No way. four So,
4: so that was it. You know, then I had a coffee cup that said, they nay, I pay. Uh, (laughs) I I didn't realize that there were costumes for Western pleasure that made, uh, Vegas look tame (laughs) And then the you know all the regalia and the four horse feather light and the two horse featherlight light trailer and then the pickup and so but it was it ended up just being trail riding you know just trail riding and the care of horses and now I, I can honestly say my favorite thing to do in the morning is go up and take care of the horses. Yeah.
1: Nice, yeah, you're the perfect horse husband. You are, you are ideal. When you look it up in the dictionary, guess what? <laughs> I mean, you got a vet that you sleep with. That's good, right?
4: <laughs> well, you know the the guy that used to come out and take care of our horses. I'm still a little timid around horses, as far as the medical care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had two classmates killed with horses. Really? And it was just a freak thing. But out of the '73, two two had some freak accidents. And yeah. you know, I want somebody to come out that sees a lot more horses than I do. Yeah. I'll do the routine the routine things, but. Uh, the the veterinarian used to come out with my wife's old high school boyfriend. Oh. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. And I was just, it's the thing for veterinarians, but <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you since fear-free started, you know, this, this movement started to mm-hmm. reduce reducing fear, anxiety, and stress in mm-hmm. animals. And it started in dogs and cats and then went to uh, avian. And the, the latest one was for equine and, you know, being a, being a prey animal we know how fear anxiety and stress can affect them and yes. now you look at it with different eyes you know when i see a horse that's in a stall all the time that has fear anxiety and stress or i see a horse that is terrified of the farrier or the veterinarian or uh, other things along the trail you start to understand you know you to start to understand what causes it and yeah. And just like a just like a dog, you know, I've had some traumatic incidences in my life with a, a dad that was manic depressive and an alcoholic, and I I I can talk about those things, and you can ferret it out. But with the with a horse, you don't know everything that's happened in their life, and right. so some of it's a, a mystery, and some of the things like we had a horse recently, we put on a on a product. Uh, it's just a milk protein and this horse went from being very anxious to just having that added to their feed and they are like like happy as a Walmart greeter now mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really happy
1: <laughs> always smiling yeah yeah that is awesome that was one of the things i was going to ask you today about tips i know that when um when we look at vet schools today and the demographic of the students that are in there, it's getting to be difficult to find those students that grow up with large animals. And I'm wondering if vet schools, and you may not know this, but if vet schools are adapting to that, how do young veterinarians get get to get experience with these larger animals? And is it a positive... It, the Fear Free program. I want you to define for us a little bit because it sets the tone for what we want to talk about today, from fearful to fear free, and that is a positive program to free these animals from anxiety and fear. And you you have begun certifying a lot of people. We should go through some stats on that, um, and then eventually, what I'd like to do is come back to how do we know if a veter- veterinarian, you know, is prepared for a large animal or not these days when they come out of vet school. So start with fear-free. Tell, I, you know, we know that you're famous and we know that you're an amazing veterinarian. Where did you see that need and how did you launch it?
4: Well, I'm I'm closing in on 70 years old. Not quite as old as your dad, but I'm getting there. <laughs> He's got a few years on me, my friend. my friend money, but, um, you know, I was at a lecture by aborted veterinary behaviorists in Canada. And I had given the keynote the day before and she was in the front row and giving me all sorts of smiles. You know, you you look at an audience and there there's a little burst of positivity here. Then you look at somebody else in the audience that seems to like it, you get a little burst there. And so the next day I thought, well, I better go to her talk. She gave the keynote the next day. Except I sat in the back of the room and I engaged her as she came through the door but planned on leaving. As soon as she got engaged with some people, I was going to sneak out and grab a beer (laughs) and and meet my wife early for supper. And her talk changed my life. Uh, She talked about fear is the worst thing a a social species can experience and it causes permanent damage to the brain. That those of us in veterinary medicine uh, were causing repeat severe psychological damage to pets by what we were doing or not doing. That fear is caused by something painful or disturbing, and she used an example of of uh, a dog, and this could be a horse as well, but she used the example of a dog getting their nails trimmed, and that's if they' trim too short, it's painful. Now when they see the nail trimmers or they're taken into the part of the house where they've had their nails trimmed or that drawer opens up, that's disturbing. And with a syringe, you know, a blood draw, a vaccination, injection of antibiotics, that's painful. Now, when they see the syringe, that's disturbing. And she went on to describe how all animals were the equivalent of a one-year-old child. They're taken against their will. She called it health care. They have no idea why the procedure benefits them. They can't anticipate or expect the relief of fear, anxiety, and stress or pain, even if it's moments away. And they can't flee the threat. And she said, who in this audience was born in the fifties and sixties that remember being taken to healthcare where you were manhandled, manipulated, threatened, and abused. And <laughs> I thought, yeah. okay, I looked at my finger, and I remember three people holding me down at the doctor's office to take a uh, sliver out. Oh. I remember one time getting an injection and crying out in pain. It hurt, uh, probably a 50s era, pen- era penicillin. Mm. My mom rose up out of her chair and raised her hand above her head and goes, shut up, Marty. <laughs> she goes, don't embarrass the doctor. That, oh. was, that was the comfort I got in 1960. Yeah. <laughs> And then my sister, Cheryl used to get her ponytail pulled at the dentist's office to keep her, her <gasps> mouth open, like a human Pez dispenser. Oh. So l- let me give you an example. We go, we go get a flu shot or a COVID shot. We know why it benefits us. We are, we go by free. Well, excuse me. We know why it benefits. Us. We know that it takes 30 minutes or less. The actual jab is 15 seconds. And at any time if we want, we can leave. We can flee the threat. When a horse gets a vaccination, they're, against their will taken to get the vaccination. They have no idea why it benefits them. They don't know how long this, when it's going to end, and they can't flee the threat. So what they see is is danger. And often, uh, sadly, a lot of these animals actually think they're going to be killed. They show all the brain signs, the same thing they do when it's the, the, that kind of brain activity to get right before you. What we call sometimes collapsing immobility, where they mm-hmm. just freeze, it won't yeah. move. A frozen cat on the table, or a dog that's laying there like it's sleeping, but it's not, or a horse that seems like, well, that horse is really calm. They actually think they're just about to die.
1: Shut down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like flooding. Yeah.
4: Like flooding. Yeah. Like exactly. Exactly. Like flooding. And, and you know, it's funny talking about my classmates, most of us were farm kids. We'd all seen live births, we'd all seen death. We'd all seen all sorts of animals. And today, 60% of the profession is female and 80% of the the veterinary school students are female. Yeah. And most of them have not seen a live birth, you know. Is that just, right? They, oh my God. No, you, they don't see a litter of puppies or kittens being born <laughs> or they don't, you know, they're not out seeing calving season or, yeah. or, or, or foal. And, and often it's funny. Uh, I've got a little dog that's six years old named PewDiePie, and he came up on a, it's called Wings of Rescue from Southern California. There's eight doctors in the practice where I work at, and not a single one of them except me had ever seen a case of distemper. Wow. And we all yeah. know about distemper in dogs, but. Pretty easy. They, yeah. Pretty easy. They'd never seen it. Too crazy.
1: Young. Crazy. So, mm-hmm. and that's one stat I was going to ask you about today, too, is the growing in women in, in these professions too, it's in horses, it's super pervasive, as you know, but also in medicine. But if you explain a little bit about fear-free, I think what we're going to find possibly is that you don't need the strength and size and everything. You just need the experience and the, and the education, right?
4: Actually, the you know, the veterinarian I spoke of that was my wife's old boyfriend, we won't mention his name. I don't want to give, <laughs> I'm joking. He's actually a friend of mine, but <laughs> um, you know what? There's there's now, this almost sounds made up, but he, you know, he was a solar practitioner for a long time. Now there's five doctors there. And the, the veterinarian that we use there is a female named Dr. Gentle. Like, uh, wouldn't that be amazing to have perfect. a name, Dr. Gentle, that's a veterinarian? Um, She's <laughs> fun, fun to tease about that, but Roland was all about manhandling. He was all about restraint. I mean, it's a twitch. It's uh, riding the halter up in the air like a, a equine elevator when it reared up in the air and never even stopped talking. And right. you know, uh, you know, the horse moves a little bit. A good old kick in the sides would never hurt anything. You know, there you and, go. It was kind mm. of his attitude. And and so he'd use large board needles. And the horses would see his truck. He's very loud. <laughs> too. The horses oh, would see his truck and they just run for the, the back 40. Yeah. And Dr. Gentle has kids that make these molasses horse cookies. And she, every, when she sometimes just drives by and pulls in and gives the horses these little molasses cookies and drives off. <laughs> so she uses, she'll draw a vaccine or an antibiotic up with one needle. She changes for a brand new needle that's sharp. Uses a smaller bore needle. She always uh, she approaches them differently. It's called uh, a considered approach, and then she uses what's called in fear free the touch gradient and what's called gentle control. And so restraint is designed to protect people. Gentle mm-hmm. control is designed to protect the animal. But guess mm-hmm. what? With less is more, you get so many fewer injuries when you learn a proper way of animal handling that doesn't make the, the, the animal feel like they're fighting for their life.
1: Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. And I bet it's scientifically provable then. If uh, if you've got this bi- baseline for knowing when animals have trauma, then you must have a baseline for knowing when they're not having trauma. Well, well th-
4: this yeah. is one thing I, I joke about, Debbie. I, I hate research. I, I don't know if I got ADHD or something, but I can't stand to read through. First of all, I don't even understand it. Oh, but I'm always I'm always headed for the conclusion, right? What's the conclusion? Right. Of the study? <laughs> if if you like the science, then when you go to fearfreepets.com, there's over 300 studies that validate a, a lot of what we talk about. Perfect. And what we do is when we, do, when we create a course, we have top subject matter experts. So in there's a hundred boarded veterinary behaviorists in the United States, American College of Veterinary behavior, Sixty-five are part of the Fear Free Advisory Group. Twelve Ph.D. behaviorists, but we have people like Brian Hare, the head of animal cognition at Duke, Alexander Horowitz, the head of animal cognition at Columbia. Um, although I I always speak of the boarded veterinary behaviorists as the bedrock of Fear Free. Temple Grandin yep. is the only gifted person, and One of the things we start to understand. So, you know, if you like studies, we can tell you why animals like certain colors and certain spectrums of LED lights and and substrates for you know coefficients of friction for flooring and all sorts of things, ventilation. But Temple was with me one day, and she said the number one fear of all animals is the fear of falling, and the fear of falling is something that they come from birth, right out of the birth canal, the fear of falling, and fear of fire is a learned a learned fear. And that's when I'm starting to understand about, about when people, whether it's horses or cattle or dogs up on a table, they have to be sure of their footing. If they don't, they're going to have these spikes in fear, anxiety, and stress. It's measurable. Uh, and And it's kind of the thing now with horses before there were you know they don't speak English, right? And their things are with are with vocalization and with body language. But now, like when you take this course, even people that haven't been are that are hobby hobby horse people, or even people that have been around horses their whole life, I guarantee you, you will learn stuff that you thought that sound means this, or this movement is a precursor to this. And it's like you've cracked the code on a new language. and It allows you to always take steps to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress and increase happy and calm.
1: I love that. So I'm hearing you say that anybody, a a dog owner, a horse owner, people can learn things through your site, too, to be better owners.
4: All right. Yeah. And, you know, fear-free, happy homes has uh stuff for all species. It's complimentary to all people. There's no charge. It's if you got uh, diarrhea in your cat or a skin issue on your dog, that's not that's not fear-free. If it's related to your dog is terrified of thunderstorms or fireworks or there's lease aggression or your cat uh you know goes to the bathroom outside the litter box or your horse is is uh being preyed upon or they're they're cribbing too much or there's, um, you know, one, one, of the things that, one of the things that's interesting too, Debbie, um, there's more enrichment activities in zoos than there are in most homes, yeah. homes farms or ranches. And
3: that's really true. this is
4: what your, your, your family has, has shown. And one of the things like for, it's not just good enough to be physically healthy. You want to be emotionally healthy. And furthermore, there's a genetic exuberance to a horse, to a cow, to a dog, and we want to let them express their genetic exuberance. So yeah. now on on at Almost Heaven Ranch, we have this giant Kong. I'm not sure if they're on the market yet. Uh, the founder of Kong and I, Joe Markham, kind of grew up together. He had a he had an eight foot booth, and he was his only employee at one time. And I met him and. <laughs> So there's this wow. giant horse horse Kong that you can stick these treats in,
0: uh-huh.
4: and we have we have jolly balls, and we have those big inflatable right. balls, and we have those balls with the net to stick carrots in, and right. and the horses, it's who'd ever thought we'd have a playground for right. these horses on almost heaven ranch, but we do.
1: I love that, too. Uh, yeah, and who would think that we shouldn't? I mean, you know, once you know, once yeah. the cat's out of the bag, haha. Um, yeah. I think people, enrichment is a great word. I know a, a gal who started, her name is Kane, and she started enrichment programs for some of the big apes, and and they're having so much fun. They do a lot of exploratory and everything, and I don't know why anyone, it doesn't matter for flight animal or carnivore they all like to play they like to discover they like to be mentally stimulated and have fun all those things are not just human they're very they're very um you know one god here you know we all we all share some of these yeah. things yeah and so i i love that you're um you're leading people in that way and showing that they're Um, that there's value in that, too. You're very progressive, and I love more so that you're leaving this for the next generation, too, that you've got a plan in place that this will not just uh, go away with Dr. Becker, but also um, you've got those people in place, the 12... brainiacs that are going to take us into the future too. And I know dad, I talked to dad about the fear free and he would love to be any kind of, just pick up the phone and call him anytime or any kind of counsel that you uh, need about equine. He'll tell you, he'll start off with the horses and then he, when we get real geeky, he goes right to deer. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and He'll tell you he's learned everything about horses in the last 10 years from the deer because their <laughs> flight mechanism is so great, you know?
4: Debbie, I gotta give you a compliment by the way. First of all, your voice, and I don't say this everybody that interviews me, your voice sounds like like you're a pastor, or a therapist, you have this really pleasing Aww. voice, and you and you said veterinarian right, which there's six <laughs> syllables. It is so difficult to say right, but you were absolutely oh. <laughs> perfect. But I'll give you an idea about enrichment. So now in the in you know we have 150 acres, soon to have uh, another hundred more. But we Yay. we have in the winter time, we'll take an ATV out and take the horse rather than just throw it down in mangers. We take it out around and put it underneath. Because usually there's no snow underneath the trees. Mm-hmm. The, we live in the in a you know a forest, and we just there's a flake here and a flake there and a flake here. So the horses have to go around that, around that big pasture, that fence pasture, to find their hay. And we we do the same thing with grain. We've just got these uh, these little shallow kind of bowls, and instead of just giving them their uh, Ameline, you know, and, in, in the bucket in there and they chomp away for two seconds, they actually go out and find it and it. they like it. I mean, it's, you're not only feeding their body, you're feeding their mind. And, uh, one of the things too, anybody that's involved with rescue of, of dogs or cats or horses, uh, fearfreeshelters.com is a complimentary program for all shelters and rescues. So employees and volunteers, And I think we've had close to 80,000 people complete that that online five-hour course. But what it does, Debbie, it's like what your dad did, what you guys have done. It changes people's relationship with their own dogs, their own cats, their own horses. And now when they're placing them or selling them, whether they're a rescue or they're selling them, they're going to make sure that 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 animal has a happy, healthy, full life. Mm.
1: You are amazing. You have an an amazing website, Uh, fearfreepets.com. Google Dr. Marty Becker. You'll go down the rabbit hole. Ha ha. And (laughs) and I I love where you're headed. I love what you're building for all of our animals out there, too. And people are going to love you. So um, I would love to have you back. We should do this semi-regularly here and learn what you're doing. You're you're way ahead of m- most of the pack and certainly ahead of me. People go on that website, fearfreepets.com and find out um, all the enhancements and all the things they're doing with veterinary professionals, pet professionals, pet owners and shelters and Dr. M- Marty Becker, I, I love what you're doing. I love what you've the content you've produced in your life is incredible.
3: Whisper. The Listen, you don't
2: have to say It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty.
3: Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the
6: I attended a four-day clinic at Flags Up Farms to become familiar with your techniques and have been starting all of our babies successfully now for six years. Recently, we have been breeding Irish sport horses in addition to our thoroughbreds, and I've discovered that the ISH, Irish sport horse, does not have a particularly strong flight instinct. The problem that I now encounter is that All of the babies will exhibit all four signals within a couple of laps around the pen, and usually without even cantering. I can startle them into moving away initially, but it can be difficult to keep them moving without chasing them, which makes them leery of join-up. If I don't chase them, they will join up and follow, but not well because they've exhausted the flight instinct. I've experimented with moving on to saddle, rider, etc. more quickly, but have found that mentally they are not really ready for this either. I believe this is due to the fact that I have a less than successful join up. Your method has worked really well and we have produced many lovely riding horses as a result, so we hope that we can transfer this process to our ISH babies with as much success. Monty's answers. I am pleased to hear that these methods are working for you and especially that you are producing champions. I suppose it's possible that you are worrying about things of lesser importance than you need to. I work with many ISH on my tours and I find them to be quite normal within the realm of equus. If I have a horse that is exhibiting lower flight tendencies than I am comfortable with, I will often use a plastic shopping bag on a long bamboo cane to increase their flight response. When I feel I have what I want, I simply toss it out over the fence and proceed without the bag. You might try this, but it sounds like you are doing well as it is. It is commendable that you're working to improve your relationship with your horses and understand their nature better. I am certain that as you add numbers to your experience bank, you will look back at this question with a chuckle. The problem you cite is certainly not one of deep concern, but I find it interesting that you place importance on the breed you're working with. Certainly, there are differences as we journey through the many breeds the equine world has to offer. However, it is my opinion that the similarities far outweigh the differences. I find the ISH to be a wonderful breed. They are filled with athletic ability and generosity as well. Because of their heterozygous background, they are blessed with what the geneticists would call hybrid vigor. Without going into a full genetics lesson, let me briefly explain to you that thoroughbreds, Arabs, and other breeds that have existed in a pure form for prolonged periods of time, centuries, have a more consistent gene pool and are termed trending towards homozygous. Geneticists agree that pure forms of any particular breed possess less hybrid vigor than those of a more recent origin, which are more tending towards heterozygous. The warm bloods of the world, including the Irish sport horse, are the result of recent outcrosses to the mix of bloodlines of the cooler draft breeds with those of established thoroughbreds. These horses tend to have a more vigorous physiology. They will generally have healthier feet and stronger bones than the older breeds. They also tend to have more laid-back attitudes. Physiologically as well as physically, they are generally less fragile than their purebred cousins. The ISH Irish Sport Horse is extremely intelligent and highly trainable, and if we get it right with these horses, they will become exceptionally gentle and often great mounts for the children of the horse world. I encourage you to continue your work with your ISH and believe that you will ultimately return to me with reports of great successes.
1: For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to montyroberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page.
0: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. We are going to focus today because we're in the middle of the advanced course here now as we record. And it's been so fascinating. We've got BLM Mustangs. We've got grade Mustangs. We have... Arabians right out of the fields. We've got all kinds of crazy stuff going. So let me focus today on the calendar. I want everybody to look. This is your last chance to go look at the movement. We have just a few tickets left. That's June 17 through 19, the movement 2022. And you can go on montyroberts.com and click on the tab that says movement and find out all about that. And Jen will be there. So you have to be there with us. And lots of actually Horse, Horse Radio Network hosts are crawling out of the corners. It'll be really fun. And then we have a sold-out clinic, but I'm going to put it in here anyway because I want people to get on the wait list. I don't want anybody to miss it. So June 20 and 21 is the Mountain Trail Clinic with Mark Bolander, the designer of the trail. And Monty Roberts is the reason for being because we put it in his infield and he went this is good. And so we're, we're really excited about that. And how can people find it? There we go. You can find all of that and more
2: at MontyRoberts.com. By the way, can people sign up to audit
1: the clinic on June 20 and 21? Well, interesting you should ask that because people have said, can we come and watch? If you have a ticket to the movement and you want to stay and watch for that, Yes. So if not, that could be basically included in your ticket to the movement. Okay. It it. kind of is because on the 19th, I should explain that June 17 and 18 um, is our more, it's more like we've done the movement in the past. We have these amazing demonstrations of gentling and coming to the mounting blog. You know, Jamie Jennings is ASPCA Trainer of the Year is going to be there teaching with Monty. And it, it is, um, we, we are unique, but it is more like you'd imagine a clinic would be. But our variation this year is on the 19th, which is Sunday, which is private sessions. So everybody got a, a chance to either bring their own horse and work with one of the, the presenters or more than one of the presenters with their own horse. Or if they're coming from a distance or don't have a horse right now, they can use our transition horses, our horses that are going through the adoption uh, retraining process to be adopted. Oh, so you get to get horse hair on your hands. Yoo-hoo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, We Us horse girls were like, you know what? It's just so hard to sit there on your hands for two days and watch all this beautiful horse work done and not be inspired to go, you know, stay there. Right and, yeah. yeah, do it right away. So So Sunday is set up, and it's all but sold out, I think, now, too. But if you have a ticket to the movement, you can stay and watch the private sessions, whether you're signed up for one or not. And you can stay and watch Mark in part. And he starts in hand as we've, we've might've mentioned in earlier episodes, but he starts everybody in hand. I don't care if you want an Olympic gold, <laughs> you start in hand with your horse because he wants to take you through the backing up and, uh, he, the partnership on the ground with the horse long before you meet the trail. So we spend a little bit of time doing that. And he he assesses people's Abilities at that point, too, the horse's behaviors, all those things. And then we go into the mountain trail and we start in hand on each obstacle, starting with a more complicated angle at each obstacle um, and seeing where the horse is and backing it up and getting their feet wet and, you know, all those fun things between a suspension bridge and a, a big pond with a mounting block rock in the middle of it. And all, kinds <laughs> all of this stuff. is really fun. Oh, it's really it's fun. Basi-
2: it's basically the great. In tetons in the infield of a ring. yeah <laughs> that's a Let's great
1: way it. Yeah, without the snow yeah.
2: without the snow and you can find all of that as i said at Montyrobbers.com. you can also get lots of information by calling flag is up farms that's right there's nice people there who can answer your questions 805-688-6288 is where you can find them and you can go to MontyRobbers.com and find that phone number so it's all easy mm-hmm. And for details about today's show, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you will find links, photos, and more information about today's guests and topics. We love your feedback. A great place to give us feedback, as well as follow along with all the fun at Flag is Up Farms. Say that three times fast. You're go you can go did. to <laughs> <laughs> Facebook.com slash Monty Roberts. Monty Roberts is the official page with a little blue check mark. And his account on Twitter as well as Instagram is Monty underscore Roberts. And thank you very much to our title sponsor who is
1: hands-on gloves. Absolutely. And I'm I'm actually trying to talk Jay into coming. This I'm going to shame him now <laughs> coming out from Texas to see the movement too. I'm really excited about that. You know what I should say too? People should go to Facebook right now. We just put up a post. So if this is coming out June 1, it'll still be discoverable. And it's a time-lapse. It's a 60-second time-lapse of the five days we put the mountain trail together. Oh, so you neat. get to watch in 60 seconds go from a field of grass to um, the Tetons. Yeah.
2: Neat. So there you go. You go, And that's on Facebook, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I put that up on Facebook today. It's actually on our YouTube channel, too. So Monty has a YouTube channel, too. And so, and you so can, It's probably even easier to find on your YouTube channel. It probably is. Actually, that's the second greatest search engine, I guess, because it's owned by Google. Of course. There you go. So um, so on
2: Facebook, on uh, YouTube, what is the channel's name? What do they look up?
1: It's, it's called Monty Channel. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you YouTube search Monty and uh, Mountain Trail. Maybe I don't. I don't. I haven't done that yet because we just put it up. But it's really fun. We had Wayne. Uh, did it for us. Our videographer, Wayne, and his wife, Janine, do all our video work, and they're amazing. And they do it for our uni, too. So one of our sponsors is com. People can go there and see their handiwork. They're amazing with the deer and the horses and Monty, and they handle us all well. So, And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at Horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours.